You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Does anybody know who was singing that song? John Denver. I'll tell you something curious that happened to me on Friday night. I was taking my son somewhere. My son is 18, right? And up to now, all he's listened to is hip-hop and rap. He's like, got these people saying, oh, yeah. There's a lot of that crack going on every time you travel with him. The carrier says, can I put a couple of songs on there, Dad? Put a few tunes on. And he always puts on these tunes. So, personally, I think he's right. They're banging tunes. Most of them are really, really good tunes. Um, so we're going along in the car and he's playing some tune and it's about some fella. Here it doesn't matter what the fella was doing. You don't want to know what the fella was doing. But he's playing this tune in the car. And next thing he says, Dad, he says, I came across this really banging tune. And I said, yeah, what is it? And he puts on country roads, take me home. And I'm like, oh, you know what happened to me? Unbelievable. I just, my, my eyes welled up with tears. I know a sad individual. My eyes will up at you. And the two of us are driving the road to Carrigaline singing, Country roads, take me home. Because as you know, I don't like to sing at all. But he I was singing. So the two of us are driving along in the car and we're singing, Country roads, take me home. And there was just something about it. He says, I don't know what it is about this song, Dad. But it just sends shivers down my spine and it just does something inside in my soul. And I know you're going to think I'm a bit mad, but I just thought, thank you, Jesus. There's something going on inside in his soul. It's not all about laying it on down and doing the thing. There's something going on in his soul. And it's just so comforting to see it was like an answer to prayer. Like an answer to prayer it was. Anyway, what I want to do this morning, I want to look at a passage of scripture that involves somebody going home. And it involves somebody going home. And it's a story that's so familiar to everybody that you might start to yawn in a few seconds and go, oh no, I've heard this so many times before. So we're going to be looking this morning at Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, is known as the chapter of the lost and found. And you're probably already going, oh no, I've read this before. I'm familiar with the story. I don't think you can ever be too familiar with the stories of Jesus. I don't think we never get too familiar with them. And I want to look at them just for a few seconds this morning. And uh, not for a few seconds, I'll be looking for a, mil- for a little while actually. We're going to be looking at them this morning. And I want us to take a, just a different view on them. The key thing here is this. That every time we lose something, if we want to find it, you're sorted? Good man, excellent. If you want to find something, the key to it is the value that you have in it. If you value something, you will search for something that is lost. If you don't value it, you won't search for it. It doesn't matter to you. Now, sometimes value can be defined in different ways. Sometimes it can be a monetary value. Sometimes, if you, for instance, if you lose a thousand euros, unless you're a very wealthy person, you're going to go looking for that thousand euros. If you, but sometimes it can be something of sentimental value. Maybe a ring, maybe a wedding ring. Maybe somebody here has lost a wedding ring somewhere along the line. You go, do you know what? I really searched hard for that wedding ring, and thankfully I found it in the end. Why? Because it has a value to you. And when Jesus is telling the stories of the lost and the found, he's really talking about value. He's talking about what is it that we value? What is it that God values? That's really what you need to keep to the forefront of your mind. Because guys, 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I see that my values are out of whack with what God's values are. Sometimes my values get thrown around a bit. I know yours don't because you're all pure as the driven snow, but I know my values sometimes get pulled out of whack and I find myself valuing things I probably shouldn't and not valuing things that I probably should as much as I ought to. Jesus, the story of, of Luke's gospel chapter 15 begins with this and we're going to read pretty well most of Luke's gospel chapter 15, by the way. We're not going to read it all. We're going to read most of it. In actual fact, we'll probably end up reading about 20 verses. Do you think we could read 20 verses of the Bible this morning? Do you know what? If you think you can't read 20 verses of the Bible, I would say to you, could you listen to Taylor Swift's Shake It Off? Yes, you could, I bet you. Shake it off, shake it off, sh -sh 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 shake it off, shake it off. It takes three minutes and 39 seconds to listen to that song. I'm not proud of knowing that, but there you are. So if you can listen to Tay Tay for three minutes and 39 seconds, let's listen to what Jesus say, say for about two and a half minutes. Amen? Okay. Let's quickly start at the start of the chapter. It says this, and this is instructive to the rest of the chapter. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. How could he possibly be a pure, holy, righteous man if he was having dinner with people who were doing things that good, religious, decent Jewish people wouldn't normally do? How could he be having dinner with people who were collaborating with the Roman oppressors? What was he doing? This was the question, or this was the situation that is posed at the start of this chapter, Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and Jesus begins to tell a story. Remember, the stories in this are specifically addressed to the religious they're specifically addressed to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And I would posit to you, I would suggest to you, that when we look at the Bible, we can see the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law as Jesus' enemies and the bad guys. Theoretically, they should be the good guys. They had the promises, they obeyed God's law. They should have been the good guys, but they turn out to be the bad guys. Do you know what my fear is? My fear is that sometimes there's a Pharisee inside in me. Sometimes there's a Sadducee inside in me. And I don't, I don't get the joy of the Lord in my soul as much as I could. And that is why I am sad, you see. Sometimes I fear it can get into us. And we don't even realize it because it comes in through the back door. So Jesus tells a couple of stories. And you're, most of you are familiar with the stories. And these are the stories he tells. He tells three stories about things that are lost and are found. Now you've got to remember his congregation. The congregation that he's speaking to are religious people. They're serious, seriously committed to their Bible. They're seriously committed to the purposes of God as much as they could possibly understand them. And he begins, first of all, with the story about a sheep. Now anytime you tell a story about a sheep, people are kind of going to go, ah, should have four sheep. Like, of course, that is unless you were in the Middle East where they were basically keeping the sheep for wool and for slaughter. But we don't really like to focus on that when we're eating our mutton or our lamb, do we? He starts off with the story of a lost sheep. He tells the story of a lost sheep. How many sheep were there? There were a hundred sheep. Thank you. Whoever said 99, you need to go back and read your Bible again. There was a hundred sheep and one of them strayed away. It's the story of a dumb animal who doesn't know where he's going. Sorry, if you, I mean, that is so anti-animal, Michael. Yes, 
Sheep are dumb. They're not very smart animals. And this particular sheep wandered away on his own, put himself into danger. And Jesus says, doesn't the shepherd, if any of you, he says, there's a hundred sheep and one of them strays away, don't you go off after it and find it? And when you find it, you bring it back and you say, rejoice with me. This is what he says. He says, and there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. He said, there's more happiness about the lost sinners who are coming to the Lord. Now, if you were a Pharisee or a Sadducee there, you'd kind of go, yeah, okay, I'll concede that. That's pretty okay. You know, we can kind of all kind of, yeah, we can empathize, we can sympathize that. It was an agrarian culture. Sheep went missing. You know, we, we can connect to that. And Jesus says, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away at all. And they kind of go, okay, we'll concede you that. They don't actually say that, but you know that that's what's going on. And then he tells a second story. He says, he tells a story about a lost coin. Now, it says in the Bible that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were really only interested in money. So when he starts talking about money, I'm sure they kind of sat up and started to pay attention. Tells, tells a story of a woman who has 10 coins. And she loses one of her coins. Now, the coin she loses, and the coin is referring to here, is a denarius. And the denarius was a day's pay. Uh, so it was a significant amount of money. If you lost a day's pay, I'm sure you'd go looking for it. It says that she went off and she swept the house clean to look for the one missing coin. And when she found the coin, she went and called her neighbors and she said, Rejoice with me because I lost my coin. It was valuable to me, but I found it, so rejoice with me and I'm glad. There is joy in the presence of God's angels. Even when one sinner repents, Jesus finished off that statement. And I'm sure the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious teachers would kind of go, yeah, okay, I'll concede you that. One in a hundred sheep, yeah, that's okay. One in ten coins, yeah, okay. And I think what happens next is a story that's so familiar to us, it can actually go straight over our heads and we can very often miss the point. And what I really want you to do is put yourself back in the shoes of these people. Put yourself back in this situation because this story has become part of, in my opinion, the white noise of the Christian faith. It's kind of for people who, who are, are kind of either brand new believers or are not yet believers. But once you become a serious Christian, these stories don't really matter anymore. Jesus, in my opinion, decides, okay, well now let's up the ante. And he tells the story of a lost son. No, losing a sheep, not great, but it's a one in a hundred loss, you could manage it. Losing a coin, it's a one in ten loss, it's a 10% loss, yeah, you could probably make, you know, you get on in life with that. But losing one out of two, and losing one son out of two is really important. In fact, as we go on to the story, more than one son is lost. And Jesus tells a story, and we're going to read that story. We're going to read it in three episodes because the way it is put, it's put in three episodes effectively. So we're going to read it in three episodes. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Lord, I pray that as we look at this this morning, we would have your heart, have your eyes, have your mind, and have your soul within us, Lord. Speak to us this morning through your word, Lord. Whether, we, whether I, as your servant, Lord, apply it well or badly, I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would apply it perfectly to our lives and hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus tells a story. I love it when Jesus tells a story. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share 
of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father... I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me now as a hired servant. When Jesus tells this story to this congregation of people that are sitting around him, mainly religious, I can tell you what they were. They were shocked. They were horrified. I mean, in fairness, feeding pigs... I mean, how low can you go? How low could this fellow possibly go? He was at the bottom of the pile. He had gotten so low. And if you actually look at, if you look at it from their perspective, and you look at it from an Old Testament per, proverbial perspective, and you look at it from a legalistic perspective, what did this young man do? Well, this is what he did. He gave two fingers to his father. He insulted his father. He dishonored his dad by asking for his inheritance early. He dishonored his faith. He dishonored tradition. He abandons his home. He abandons his community. He abandons God. And he wanders away from the community and the commonwealth of Israel and he goes to a different country. And when he gets to that country, he forgets about God. He effectively lives a hedonistic life blows every penny of his father's money, one third of his father's entire wealth, he blows it on prostitutes. Let's translate it into future. He's doing cocaine. He's knocking back Jaeger bombs. He's having a wild life. And he's got loads of friends while he has money. And he's eating and drinking and cavorting. And we don't know how long this goes on, but it would have taken quite a while to burn through that kind of dollar. And then... What happens to him? His money runs out. Guess what? His friends abandon him. He finds himself at the bottom of the pecking order and he ends up feeding pigs. An offense. Pigs just were an offense. They were an offense to the, to the Jews. They wouldn't have gone next nor near a pig. It was banned under the Old Testament law. And he found himself feeding pigs for a pagan farmer who knew nothing about God. And I'll bet you that the religious people who sat there said to themselves, the stupid fool, he got exactly what he deserved. He has reaped exactly what he has sown. He has gotten right the justice of God because he abandoned everything, to, gave two fingers to the world and decided, that's it, I'm going to go my own way. And he willfully, decisively went off and abandoned everything that he was brought up and raised to honor. 
He literally finds himself in the place, as the book of Proverbs says, it is the rod for the back of the self-confident fool. He is the fool of biblical proportions. And he's left here in this situation. You know something? That's the thing about legalistic justice. It says you will reap what you sow. And that is a spiritual law. And it is true. But there's something in it that says, you know what? That guy got what he deserved. Any half-decent Jew, I'd have to say, for most of the people I've met, any half-decent Christian would say, oh, there's a surprise. He ignored God and he ended up in this situation. Tough luck. You brought it on yourself. And you know, in all the years that I've been alive, anytime somebody has said to me, it's your own fault, it was never actually any comfort to me. It never actually ever meant anything to me. So there was a huge compassion, sympathetic and empathic distance between the experience that of the man that Jesus is talking about in the story and the people who are listening to his story. He got exactly what he deserves. And then to change the tone, he's sitting there and he says, I'm starving. Now you might think he had a great epiphany moment and a great revelation. No, he just got hungry. He just got hungrier and hungrier and skinnier and skinnier. And the pods that the pigs were eating were like, I'd love a bit of that. I mean, have, has anybody here ever been around a pigsty? Anybody been around a pigsty? Have you ever looked into the pigsty and thought to yourself, Jeannie, I'd love a bit of that. <laughs> no, you've never done that, I can assure you. And if you have, come to us afterwards. We have some charitable support we can give you here in the church if you're that badly off. You've never looked at the food of an animal and thought, oh, gee, I'd love a bit of that, boy. No, you haven't. And that's what this guy is doing. And as far as his listeners are concerned, serves you right, sir. You brought it on yourself. Now, how cold would the universe be if God's attitude to all of us was, serves you right, you brought it on yourself. You see, that is the proverbial way of life. I'm talking about Proverbs in the book, in the, in, in the Old Testament. There's a friend of mine in America. He'd probably listen to this recording in the next couple of weeks, he says he always listens. And then he brings up and he rebukes me for my mistakes. And he listen, And he, he's a guy called Nathan. And he listens regularly to this. And I was talking to him back in the summer. And he, he was telling a story about somebody that he'd helped. You know, he wasn't saying, I'm a great guy or Charles. But he was just telling a story. And he said, he told the story about how he managed to help somebody out and get them housing. And he got this person housing and got a child who was with them housing. And a couple of months later, he got a phone call from the landlord of the person now, he was paying the rent. He was looking after this person. He got a phone call from the landlord. And the landlord said, the person whom you rented the house for has trashed the house. Um, somebody moved in with them. They wrecked the joint. And they have departed and left all the utility bills and left it in a mess. And Nathan said to me, you know, Michael, he said, that's about as far as the book of Proverbs will take you. You have to have a transformation in your heart. Something has to change in here. Because the rules and the laws will never really change your life. These guys were looking at this fella, thinking he got exactly what he deserved. Lads, how often is it in our lives that it is only when things hit rock bottom that we turn to God? Why is it that when 
the excrement hits the ventilation device, that we suddenly find our prayer lives improve. Why does that happen? Well, St. Augustine, as he was known to us, Augustine of Hippo, who was, a, who was a, an early Christian father, he wrote this. He said, you never depart from us, referring to God, but yet only in difficulties do we return to you. You know what? If difficulties cause us to run to God, then all I can say is praise God for difficulties. If trials and troubles send us to God, then praise God for trials and troubles. You see, that's why Paul was able to say, regardless of what your circumstances is, give thanks God is still at work. That's a loosely translating of what he was doing. No matter what your situation is, give thanks because God is still at work. Praise God for the trouble. Would anybody here say, thank you Lord for the trouble that came into my life that drove me to you? Raise your hand if you'd say that. Look at that. Look at that. See, all these people didn't have a great epiphany or a Damascus Road experience. They got into trouble. I know when I became a Christian, it was my troubles. It was my difficulty that brought me in. I didn't want to die and I didn't want to go to hell. I'm going to be quite honest with you. And that's what sent me to the Lord. So we return to our story. And the thing you have to bear in mind is that this young man has made up his mind to go home. Not because he's actually sorry. Not because he's really repentant and I have wasted all of this goodness. He's going back home because he's hungry. I've reminded my own kids. My, I have three teenage boys. I can't tell the story in the late service because they'll be here. They come in every now and again. The door will burst open. Bang! You'll hear a bang in the house. You know somebody's home. You know the quiet calm of just Elm and I has burst. And some of the bursts, they go, oh, I'm starving. Is there anything to eat? You know, the way kind of like, you know, um, teenagers have the metabolism of a furnace, you know, so they eat stuff and it just, it just gets burned. So they go, I'm starving. It's something to eat. And very often, the only reason they've come home from hanging around with their buddies is because they're starving and they want something to eat. Praise God for hunger, I say. In this case, it drove this man backwards. He decided, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. Let's pick up the narrative again. So he returned home to his father. And while... He was still a long way off. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. And he, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring, put it on his fingers and get sandals for his feet and kill the fattening calf that we've been fattening. This is a good news story for everybody except the fattened calf. When he heard the sun was coming, we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead but has returned to life. He was lost but now he's found and so the party began. No, the Pharisees listened to this are going, what? He just, he just like, welcomed him back he just said come on I can't believe it my son is alive and then maybe somewhere in their hearts they went you know what what if it was my son what if it was my son my father confronted me many years ago in the hallway late one night I'd come in I'd been out carousing or do actually it wasn't carousing actually it probably wasn't I was kind of doing something very sane and normal I was a Christian at the time Four o'clock in the morning, I arrived home, as you're wont to do. My father's waiting for me. And my father was, uh, 
was a big man and um, I didn't want to cross him too often and I walked in the door and he quietly said to me, he said, where have you been until now? And I said, I was with Niall and I was up with Sean. We were just, just hanging out. Just hanging out, he says. Is that what you were doing? I said, yeah, I'm just hanging out. Just weren't doing anything. He says, I want to tell you something, he said. When you are not at home, your mother, she doesn't sleep. She can't sleep until you're home. Now, I was one of nine kids. So, like, there was a lot of coming and going in our home. Like, you know, it was like a bus station most of the time, to be honest with you. Like, but I could see in my dad that he wasn't worried really about his wife, my mother. He was telling me himself what he couldn't say. And that was that he was worried when I didn't. When my son, my oldest son, was 16 years of age, one night, we're lying in bed, no sign of him. One o'clock comes, no sign. Two o'clock comes, no sign. Three o'clock in the morning comes, still no sign. No sleep, awake, thinking. And I've thought everything. He's been hit by a bus. He's been jumped. He's after getting drunk and fallen over and banged his head. He's been arrested by the Gardaí. No, he wasn't doing anything that bad, but this is the place that your head goes to. And I remember lying in bed, and you'll think I'm a bit mad, lads, and it's okay if you think I'm a bit mad, because I probably am a bit mad, so that's all right. As I lay in bed there, I literally began to compose what I would say at his funeral. That's mad, like. <laughs> For somebody to have that hold over your soul is probably not great. I should have been more. But I missed my son. And I prayed for him. And the next thing is, there's a noise. That's, do you know the curious thing is, and you'd swear, no, my son's a kind of wild man. He's not. I'm just probably a bit too soft that way. But you know what the most joyous noise you could ever hear? I mean it. Do you know the joy, the noise that gives you the more joy than anything else when you're the son of teenage boys? The most joyous noise you can hear is the handle of the front door opening at two o'clock in the morning. And you go, yes, I can go to sleep now. It's strange. You think all the joys, I hear, all those joyful noises that passed through, it was the noise of the handle. You see, this father, as far as we can see, was the father like most of the fathers in here. Any fathers inside here? I'd imagine you care about your children unless you're a sociopath. And we'll be laying hands on sociopaths in the backyard after church today. You care about your children. And if something happens to them, you want to rescue them, don't you? Because that's what parents do. We sign up for rescue duty. We have to go and collect people in the middle of the night. We have to go and sort out problems that happen in school. We go and we rescue. That's what we do. And if you don't do that, you're probably not doing parenting very good. And you probably have disconnected to something. And we'll pray for you. Honestly, we really will. So when this father comes home what was the going on with this father we don't know how long this son was away but we know this according to some commentators they reckon he may have been away for as long as 10 years and in those 10 years the father had obviously come to the conclusion that his son was dead and yeah he may have given him the two fingers and yeah he may have walked out on him and yeah he may have abandoned the family but he was still his son 
And he still loved him. And he longed for him. And what do you think he was fattening the calf for? He was waiting for him. And then when the son arrives home, he embraces him. He takes hold of him and he starts kissing him. And it's not kind of, oh, welcome home, son. It wasn't, he kissed him like, it was like, oh, he's so glad to see you. And the poor young fellow was, was broken. He was starved. He was skinny. He was dirty. He was barefoot. And the father, he was a delight to the eyes of his father. But what sent him home was his hunger. But he still ended up in the father's arms. He knew what to do when he got into trouble. He went home. And to some people who I've spoken to over the years, who've come into church here, I've spoken to them after church. That's happened dozens of times, whether they're inside the church here or whether we're over in Deer Park when we were before. People come in and say, you know what? I came into this church this morning. And all I can say is that I came home. I met my family. I met the people who love me and want to be around me. That's what a church should be like. A home. Would anyone say? That's what a church should be like. Oh, the promises of God. When we turn back here, he says in Isaiah, he says this, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It was all free. And the people listening to this story are going, What? You've got to be kidding me. How could he possibly give this embrace to this waster of a son? And then we get to episode three of the story. We're nearly there, lads. Episode three of the story is his brother's story. Now, I find it interesting to see this guy in the, in the photograph. Sorry, and this is a total aside and you just delete it. It's an interesting thing that see the beard he's wearing. Once upon a time, this was kind of like old Abraham Lincoln and good people beard, you know? And it was like, you know, Amish folk had beards like this. But then suddenly something happened in the late 1990s and it became the beard of the jihadist. And suddenly people with this kind of beard look very judgmental. Um, and that's a total aside and I'm moving on quickly. Um, he comes home and everyone is glad to see him. Oh yeah? Not really. Because you know the story. Meanwhile, the older son, who'd stuck around for 10 years, was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what is going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all of these years, I slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours, not his brother, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, hello... You celebrate by killing the fatted calf? Are you serious? This waster comes back and you celebrate with him? This absolute loser, my little brother, 
who has always been a tearaway by the way his decision to leave home did not just happen one morning. He didn't have an epiphany. Obviously, there was something going on in the home. This waster comes back. And you celebrate with him. Go back quickly, lads, to the congregation, the people that Jesus is speaking to. Ah! You see, they didn't see that this was the way the universe worked at all. They didn't see at all that this is how things work in the universe. To them, it was very simple. The penitent person ran to God. God was not the pursuer. God was the pursued one. And they're saying, this waster comes back and you're celebrating over him. Can you see how the ante has been up from the little sheep and the little coin? Suddenly there's a real story that confronts their reality. And no, Jesus is addressing them directly. Who are they? They are the older brother. And it says this, the father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was dead. It's like he came back to life. We counted him as dead. Gone. We'd never see him again. He was lost. But we found him. Do you not care about your brother? Is the implication. Do you not care about your brother? That he was lost? And then we found him. Do you not care that your brother was dead? But, but now he's alive. I mean, hello? I know he was a waster. And I know he did some pretty bad things. But it's your brother. He's your brother. I know that this means you're probably going to have to give up the top bunk again. I know you're probably worried about what this means for you. Because the thing between brothers and all the brothers in the Bible, if you look at it, all kind of basically have the same thing. They have this envy and this fear. And their envy and their fear always means maybe the other one is loved more. Maybe the other one is shown more favor. Maybe the other one is given more or forgiven more. You see, I know that you all came from extremely emotionally healthy families and that there was never any sibling rivalry in any of your families. And so therefore, none of you can relate to this story at all in any way that one brother might hate another brother or a sister might hate an uncle or an aunt might hate your sister. Isn't that right? Amen. Let's close in prayer. And Jesus is challenging them. And I think he's challenging us. Where, where's our compassion for the wasters? The people we don't think are drawing in line. You see, there's a big difference, brothers and sisters, between moralism and the gospel of grace. There's a huge difference. If the message, if all we have to say to people is, behave morally right and God will bless your life. If that's all we have to say to people, forget about it. It's not going to change anybody's life. But if we can say, despite what you've done, despite where you're at, God can touch your life. God can bring you a new life. Because brothers and sisters, according to the scriptures, every one of us was dead. 
but through Jesus Christ we're now alive. Hallelujah. Anybody dead in the room? No. Anybody alive in this room? Alive because of what Jesus has done. You see, that's the reality that we're looking at in this story. Somebody was dead, and I love it when the father says, all I have is yours. You see, there was a consequence. The younger brother blew his inheritance. There wasn't going to be a second inheritance. It was gone. So everything that was left no belonged to the older brother. And if he hadn't been so busy earning his father's favor, he could have had a party with his friends because he pretty well owned the whole kit and caboodle anyway. It was all his anyway. And Jesus leaves this one on a cliffhanger. And that's what I love about the end of this chapter, Luke chapter 15. Because in all of Jesus' parables, if you look in this, about 30 parables, if you look at the parables, there's almost always a resolve at the end. There's a conflict, there, there, there's, the, there's the situation, there's the conflict, and there's the resolution. And in this one, there isn't a resolution in episode 3 of the story of the so-called prodigal or the lost son. There isn't a resolution because the resolution is back over to us. We are the audience that Jesus is speaking to. We are the audience. And sometimes, I, I, heard, I read a quote by a, a very high-level Christian leader who said, you've never looked into the eyes of someone for whom Jesus Christ did not die. Never. Never looked into the eyes of someone for whom Jesus Christ did not die. Lads, that is such a challenge. Especially when people are messing around their lives or messing around with your life with their lives. It is such a challenge. But there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who returns than over 99 of us who kind of, we're kind of doing okay. Do you know, you go into some churches and there's no joy in the church. I don't know, I'm sure some of you have experienced it. You go into churches and there's no joy in the church. And do you know why there's no joy in some churches? Because there's no cause for joy. Because normally you will find that people aren't getting saved. People aren't coming to know Jesus. The gospel may be preached, but it's a very prescriptive gospel. It's not the gospel of grace. I'm not criticizing any church. I'm sorry, just I've been to a lot of churches and some of them it's been absolutely joyless experience because no one is being saved. And you know what transforms the joy and atmosphere of a church? When people get saved. When people come to know Jesus Christ. May we always be a congregation that longs to see people saved. Would anybody say amen? amen? To some of people here this morning, I'd say this to you. You have felt lost. This young man in the story, he was lost in every way possible. He was lost socially. He was lost materially. He was lost emotionally. He was lost Physically and geographically. He was lost in every possible way. And yet, when he turned his face, he could still go home. If you're lost this morning, you can return home. You can return home. You can return home. For some of us here this morning, you're hungry. Your hunger is deepening within you. You've got an insatiable hunger and whether it's your circumstances or your situation 
whether it's your circumstances or your situation, you're hungry this morning. I'd encourage you, come buy and eat. You who have no money, come drink wine and milk for free, as the prophet Isaiah said. There's a chance for you this morning to come to life as it were and to bring your hunger before God. Later on in Luke's gospel, this is recorded, Jesus' own words. The Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are, not those who are found, but those who are lost. Okay, I want to pray for two things specifically. Can we stand? Let's stand as we close. May the worship band will come up. We're going to sing the song. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. We're going to sing that in a second. And wonder how he could love me. A sinner, condemned and unclean. That was you, that was me, that can often be you and me again in our life courses. I want to pray for two things. One, for some of us here this morning, you need a softening of your heart. Let's close our eyes for a second. Let's close our eyes for a second. Can you respect the people around you? You need a softening of your heart this morning. And listening to a story about a, a young man who came home and met the big brother and the big brother said, you know what, no, you deserve, you get what you deserve. And sometimes we can have a hard heart towards our own. And that needn't necessarily be someone who is related to you. It can be someone who's working with you, somebody who's living in your home or in your area. It might be a neighbor. And you recognize this morning, do you know what, I've got a hard heart towards that person. Do you know the first step to getting rid of a hard heart is, is saying, Lord, would you soften my heart? If you're here this morning you want to say Lord would you soften my heart towards that person would you raise your hand I see your hands you put them back down again if you're here this morning and you know somebody who is lost you say Lord would you reach that lost person that I love it might be a brother sister son father uncle mother but somebody who is genuinely heavily on your heart you want to say Lord I want to bring that person before the Lord this morning. Would you raise your hand? Praise God. It's good that we have a compassionate heart for people. Let's sing. I stand amazed in the presence. again just for a moment if you're here this morning and you say you know what I'm lost I'm lost and I want to return to my father's house I want to return to my father's house I want to know that new life because I feel dead but I want to be alive 
you're lost this morning and you want to say, Lord, find me. If you're here this morning and you haven't prayed that prayer before and you want to pray this morning, say, Lord, I feel lost. I want to know you personally. I want to know your forgiveness. I want to know your embrace. I want to know your mercy. I want to know your grace. If that's you this morning, with all eyes closed, would you raise your hand? I'm the only one who'll see it. See that? See that? We've got three hands up this morning for people who want to invite Jesus in. Lord, for those who've raised their hands this morning, my prayer, our prayer, is that you would visit them and visit their lives in reality. Would anybody say amen? Lord, I pray for those this morning who are lost, Lord. I pray that they would run to the Father's arms, Lord. I pray that they would realize the truth that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, I pray this morning you would minister your forgiveness, minister your grace, bring new life, Lord, so that we can declare in this place this morning that the lost are found. Would anyone say amen? If you want to pray for somebody this morning, will you raise your hand? If you want to pray for somebody this morning that you recognize as being lost, would you raise your hand? If you're here this morning and you need your heart softened, would you raise your hand? You want to say, Lord, will you soften my heart? Let me take the first step of softening my heart this morning towards that person. I'm going to give, begin with that prayer. Lord, I pray this morning for all of those who are here this morning who recognize that there's a hardness of their heart towards somebody that they should have a soft heart towards. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this morning that that prayer would be the first step, Lord. That that would be the start, Lord, of a dam breaking, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray it would be the start of a wall falling in a heart and in a mind, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would give us opportunities to express soft-heartedness to those towards whom we hold something this morning. Lord, give us the grace to forgive this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray forgiveness would be offered and given, Lord, from the hearts of your people this morning. Lord, lastly, we pray this morning for those that we love and that we long for, Lord. Those this morning who are lost, lost in their ways, lost in their lives, lost in their thoughts, lost in their lifestyles, those who are geographically and socially lost, those who are lost in every way this morning, Lord, we bring them before you and ask you, Lord, would you reach out your hand and touch them? Would anyone say amen? Lord, we ask you this morning, would you guide them home to the heart of God today, Lord? Would you do something amazing in their lives this morning, Lord? Would you touch them, Lord, with a miracle, Lord? Move into their lives. Soften their hearts. Change their minds, Lord, we pray. Rescue those who are lost this morning. And Lord, we, may we take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives as we go out from here today. We ask you, Lord, that you would bless us as we get up and as we lie down. As we come in and as we go out. As we work, rest and play and pray this coming week. We commit ourselves entirely and completely into your hands. In Jesus' name and God's people said, God bless you and go with you, brothers and sisters. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs in the atrium. We're here again on Tuesday night. We've got a ministering team from the USA. 
The lads are going to play us out for the next few minutes. God bless you and go with you this week. Thanks, John.